Welcome back once again to the Wooden Bats Podcast, a podcast where two brothers who are lifelong New England sports fans come together once a week to share their love for sports together. My name is Darren Woods, and I am joined, as always, by my brother, Dylan. Yep, a uh, pretty exciting time right now, at least for uh, for one of the Boston sports teams. Yeah, we'll definitely be talking a lot about that today, and I think we may as well not waste any more time just get right into it. So yeah, the Celtics' playoff journey has begun, and it has been very exciting these past two games. Both have been fairly close finishes. One which ended in a buzzer beater, which I believe was actually the first ever playoff game that ended a buzzer beater at TD Garden. Is that right? I'm not 100% sure, but I can't think of one off the top of my head. So I know it was a first of of some sort. And then also game two, Celtics were, they weren't looking too good in the first half. I think they were down like 17, like pretty late into the second quarter, but then they, they ended up mounting a comeback in the second half. And it ended up winning by like, a fairly sizable single-digit margin. So both have just been very good games, and I'm sure you have a lot to say about these games. As you have, you you've been watching pretty much every minute of them. Yeah, of course. I haven't missed. Uh, I haven't even missed the commercials of of the games, uh, of the first two. Well, see, so you're that dedicated then. Yeah, just you never you never know what, what when something's gonna pop up during the commercials that may be key to the game. But some really exciting playoff basketball right away. Wasting no time playing heart pounding, you know, white knuckle basketball where it feels like every possession is important. Both of these games, obviously, the first one was close uh, most of the game. I, I don't think either team really stretched up the lead to more, than, to more than five or six at any point. And it really did feel like in the fourth quarter of that game, at least to me, that the Nets were going to pull it out because the Celtics just, they really just weren't getting as much going offensively as I thought they would, or at least that they were getting most of the second half of the season when when, when they really emerged as, as a really quality team. I was just surprised at how many possessions, possessions just ended in dribbling the ball out of bounds or just throwing it away to, 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 to the Nets. And, and it was really frustrating because obviously you can't do that in the series. It's going to be this close, but somehow they've gotten away with it. They easily could be down 0-2 right now in the series, considering that they needed a buzzer beater to win the first game. We're down five or six in the fourth quarter, and I think the Nets really could have had a couple points in both of the fourth quarters of these games, really hit a couple big shots. I I know Durant had one big, I think it was game one, had a really big three to uh, put the Nets up eight with with under like six, uh, six or seven minutes left, So, and he missed that shot. He also the uh, the crazy shot uh, before the buzzer beater that I guess if he had made it would have would have been a dagger, but uh, some really good defense by the Celtics and then yeah the buzzer beater play, obviously like panic the uh, the uh, Celtics don't call a timeout so kind of uh, you know frenzied offense but I really did think Marcus Smart was was going to take some sort of floater or, you know jumper to, to end it but luckily found Tatum wide open cut to the basket right in the nick of time for, for that layup. Uh, I'm looking at like the box right now. It looks like it, like the first half was very close, but then the Nets they kind of built a little bit of a lead after the uh, third quarter. But the Celtics, actually no, the Celtics were the ones that built the lead. But then the Nets they kind of came storming back, and it ended up being they were up like what like one or two before the buzzer beater. Yeah, they're up by one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, then game two is a little bit of a different story with where it seemed like the Nets were gonna get their first win, especially 
the first half. I mean, I think they scored the first like nine points of the whole game. Yeah, and it was all by Bruce Brown, which is which is the last guy you'd expect out of the ten guys who are on the floor to score the first nine points of the game. Yeah, and that's they were up by double digits, I believe, going into the second half. But something happened that allowed the Celtics to just come back, and they had a very dominant fourth quarter, I believe, especially. And they ended up taking game two, so Celtics looking really great now. They're up two nothing, and what's even better is that they're gonna have looks. At least it looks like they're gonna have Rob Williams back for game three for a little bit, and then hopefully in a full capacity game four. So I think the Celtics definitely have the upper hand right now, having won these past two games. Yeah, I was pretty surprised, but obviously excited to see that Rob Williams is gonna be back so soon. It does make me a little bit nervous for him re-injuring that knee, but obviously they would take into consideration any threat of re-injuring. So I would figure at this point, he's pretty close to 100%, which is which would be amazing considering how just, it was only a short time ago that he got injured. And it seemed like he, he, he could be out for the season, maybe in part, even part of next season, just with the uh, meniscus. You never know how severe it's going to be. But yeah, if he comes back and is is playing like, like even 75 to 80% as, as well as he was playing, in the last few months of the season, I think the Celtics have a real shot of going all the way because when he went out, it was kind of startling just how much he he had an impact on, on the team. Like you would think out of the five starters, he's definitely the uh, fifth most likely or, or, or the least likely to, to, to score on offense. But just seeing Daniel Tice in there, instead of him on defense like Tice is, is a fine defender but obviously does not have the athletic jumping ability like Robert Williams and it was it was really a key part of the defense where Robert Williams could just fly around and and defend anything inside the uh, three-point line he was able to contest pretty much and even uh, I know a lot that the uh, Nets were trying to get Daniel Tice on guarding Kevin Durant to try to create a, a little bit of a mismatch but Having Rob Williams there instead is a better matchup. But then, yeah, on offense, Tice definitely had more of a, a jump shot threat. So I, I think in one of the games, he, he scored like, like 15 or 18 points, something like that. So that was nice. But while Rob Williams probably won't score as much as Tice will, he's, he's definitely like obviously an alley-oop threat where, where Tice doesn't really have as, as much of a, that sort of skill. But I think he's probably going to come off the bench in game three. I think that was the report. So I don't know exactly how much of an impact he'll have, but either way, the Celtics are in a really good spot right now, up 2-0 in a series. They could easily be down 0-2 in, and I still think they could be playing a lot better basketball than they have so far in the series because Jason Tatum, he's been really good passing the ball, and, and he, he hit a couple big shots in game two, also in game one, obviously the buzzer beater being the uh, number one out of those, but I think he has like a 35, 40 point game in him in this series that he hasn't even come close to getting so far. And then uh, Jalen Brown really has, has like in game one, especially Jalen and Jalen Brown and really the whole team missed, missed a lot of layups. So really a lot of points left out there. I would not be at all surprised to see, to see the Celtics just come out and just be on fire to start game three and, and even win in a blowout and kind of put the series away. Because even though I said uh, Nets in seven, uh, before the series obviously that is now not looking too great and uh, just watching the first two games it really feels like the Celtics are going to play even better moving forward it wasn't like the first two games are a fluke if anything 
it was a fluke for how close they were because I really do feel like the Celtics, uh, at least on offense, could have been playing a lot better than they were. On defense, obviously, it's been great. Durant has been shut down, only made four shots in game two. And then, of course, shutting down Kyrie Irving in game two as well, only scoring 10 points compared to game one when they almost had 40. So at this point, it really feels like the, uh, the Celtics, as long as they don't collapse, should win the series. But obviously, there is the threat of, of KD and Kyrie going off and just, you know, being unstoppable on offense. But at least what we've seen so far from the Celtics defense, it doesn't seem like even th- those two being at their best is going to really uh, threaten any any chances of winning the series. Yeah, I mean, I think at this point, I'd be very surprised if the Celtics lost the series with being up two games, even though the series is going to Brooklyn. I don't know how it's going to shape things with them, with the Nets having the home court advantage for, I think, at least the next two games, if not three. But as long as the Celtics, I think, win at least like one game on the road, they should be fine to move on to the second round. Yeah, I think at this point, the most likely scenario is is splitting the games in Brooklyn. Winning game three would obviously be huge because no team has ever come back from down 3-0. So I think that'd be a really uh, demoralizing victory to, to also win game three, no matter what happens in game four. Uh, and also, depending on how the, on how the uh, two games go in Brooklyn, even if the series was tied 2-2, I think I'd still be pretty confident coming back to, to game five in Boston. But there is also the factor of Ben Simmons coming back. I think it's going to be game four. I think at this point, I'm feeling like him coming back is really going to be a negative for the Nets, or at least, it, like, if anything, if it has any sort of impact, it's going to be a negative because it, it'll be good for them because he can guard Tatum. But honestly, Ben Simmons, who hasn't played in 10 months, who knows how good he's going to be defending against Jason Tatum, who's been who's been in the rhythm now for a while. So I don't know exactly how that would go. I, I don't really know if you'd want Ben Simmons guarding this, our, our best player. So could potentially light him up there. And then on offense, any time that, that anybody besides Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving have the ball, I think the Celtics are are, are fine with anybody else handling the ball besides them. I mean, uh, Goran Dragic had his moments in game two, but kind of uh, sputtered in the second half. And then like Bruce Brown and Claxton, Drummond, any of those any of those players having the ball other than the two stars. And, and then adding Ben Simmons to that mix, who is another guy who can't really shoot that well. It's just I'm I'm not scared of of Ben Simmons having the ball and and Kyrie and KD standing to the side, because even though like he is a good he is a great passer, but I just feel like Kyrie and KD are a lot more dangerous with the ball in their hands compared to off ball. So I guess there is a chance also of of them being better in transition with Ben Simmons because that that is one of his better qualities where he's really good at getting out on the break. But again, because it's been so far so much time off. And with just how much of an impact and how important Kyrie and KD are, I really don't know if they're going to be able to really mix those three players together and just like already being down in the series, uh, no matter what for game four. I think I think it really could just be detrimental to, to the Nets' chances like, even more than, than it already is, given that they're down 0-2. All right. Well, I think that's all we really have to say about the Celtics, but... um. Are there any other playoff series that you feel like have been really interesting so far? Uh, well, I think I think the the biggest game slash series that really uh you know happened the past couple of days was that Grizzlies Timberwolves game where Minnesota dominated the first half, led by twenty six at one point. I th- I think in the second half too, and then the Grizzlies came all the way back to beat 
Minnesota. And now Minnesota, after winning game one, is down 2-1 in the series. And it really feels like that was the biggest chance for like a real upset in the first round. But blowing a 26-point lead at home, and then it just feels like at this point, Memphis has a firm control of that series. So I think that was a big swing. Also in the West, the Warriors are up 3-0 on the Nuggets. So it looks like they're going to easily advance. I was surprised at the Mavericks being up 2-1 without Luka Doncic. And and that game four is tonight. I think Doncic is still going to be out. So Dallas having a chance to go up 3-1 without their best player is uh, obviously huge for them. And then looking at the second round uh, with that Suns-Pelican series, if Devin Booker is going to miss the start of that Dallas series and Doncic is back by then, then I think that the Mavericks could make a run to the Western Conference Finals and maybe even further. But, uh, yeah, the Suns now are, are in a battle with the Pelicans after both of us saying that it was, that it was probably going to be a sweep. Pelicans win game two, uh, nearly won again last night. But the, the uh, Suns now lead 2-1. And I, I would not be surprised if that series was tied 2-2 going back to Phoenix because the Pelicans have, have been playing really well with uh, McCollum and Ingram and even the young players like Jose Alvarado and Trey Murphy. Herb Jones has been giving Chris Paul, I guess, a little bit of trouble, even though he was he was dominant in the fourth quarter last night. So, but yeah, I think overall, like the overarching takeaway in the West is that Golden State should be the favorite right now because with Booker's injury and even with him on the court, the Pelicans kind of giving them problems. It feels like the Warriors right now are the uh, are the not not a clear favorite because the Suns obviously still have a bunch of talent and are the best team all season, but. Uh, it, it feels like the Warriors are, are only going to get hotter as the playoffs advance. So it's looking really good for them. Yeah, um, I think we definitely spoke too soon about the Suns uh, last week. Because if you look at the scores, you would think that it would be more like a 3-6 or 4-5 matchup with how close the games have been. Um, and now back and forth. But the Pelicans are surprisingly putting up a fight for a team that made it into the playoffs despite being below 500. So, like, who knows? They might even... Um, they might even, I guess, land one of the biggest upsets that the NBA playoffs has ever seen, even with a team that seems so, so out of it. And, it seemed, and the Suns just seem like a team that we're just going to crush them. But anything but that has been the case. I, I think at this point, the the uh, Suns are still going to win in six or seven games. I still think the Suns have like a 90% chance of winning the series, but the Pelicans are obviously not just like happy to be here or anything like that. So. A little bit of a surprise. And then also in the East, the Hawks made it a little bit of a series last night with Trey Young's uh, go-ahead floater with four seconds left in the fourth quarter to, to make that series 2-1. So the Hawks almost going down 3-0. And, but now having a, having a chance to do a Tyler series tomorrow. But yeah, it feels, like, it feels like every year Atlanta being in the playoffs, whenever they go to Atlanta and, and play on their home court, it always just they're really they're really hard to beat that. I remember the uh, the uh, Celtics like five or six years ago playing in Atlanta and just getting crushed every single time. So definitely a, a tough place to play. Obviously, Trey Young being in any, any series is not going to be a tough out. So I would not be surprised to uh, to see that one eight matchup go six or seven games either. And then Philly's up there on Toronto. Joel Embiid had 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 the huge shot in overtime to put them. So it feels like they're gonna move on pretty easily just like the Warriors and then we we, uh, we mentioned the Celtics and then the Bucks, who lost a surprise in game two 
couple nights ago, but then just throttled the Bulls by 30 points, even without Chris Middleton. So they kind of put any lingering hope of, of Chicago winning that series kind of to bed just by demolishing them on their home court in game three. So it feels like even though it's still 2-1, anything could really happen, that the uh, Bucks are going to win the next two games or at least close out in six at the worst in advance. So that kind of gives you the, the picture for the for the entire playoff bracket. Yeah, I don't know if you already talked about this a lot, but the Sixers, they've been really dominating uh, the Raptors. Even though it's a 4-5 matchup, they've, they're up 3 nothing. The first two games, they won by at least 15 points, and the third game, they go to overtime, but they end up uh, scraping that one up by about 3, so I think that, if anything, it's pretty much guaranteed at this point that both um, the Sixers and the Warriors are going to go to the second round. Anyone, any other team, though, is not quite safe yet, I would say. Maybe maybe the Celtics win what is tomorrow night, I believe. Or maybe, actually, no, it's tonight on the day mm-hmm. that we're recording this. They might be pretty safe, but... Yeah, only two series that are really basically just one team's been running away with it. But every, every series, though, has been pretty back and forth, pretty intense. Looks like it's been a pretty exciting playoffs for the most part. Yeah, I think also if the Warriors are emerging as the favorite in the West, I think in the East... The overall consensus that whoever comes out of the East really can have to earn it because right now, looking at the uh, potential second round matchups, you'd think at this point, the, the most likely would be Heat Sixers and, and Celtics Bucks. And Celtics Bucks, I think, is a very even matchup. Those two teams splitting the, the, the four regular season games and just, you have the defending champions on one side and, and then the uh, Celtics who've been the hottest team for a while now. So I think that one would be an almost guaranteed seven games, but we'll see because even if the uh, Nets come back and, and win, Nets Bucks would be unreal too. If they're thinking about the, the uh, that, that series last year and then Heat Sixers, I think at this point, even with the Heat uh, winning, I, I think something like like thirteen out of fifteen or, or something like that before last night when they lost to the Hawks, I still think that the uh, Sixers have a pretty significant edge there. So. But either way, just whoever comes out of the East, you really can't make a case for anybody to blow through or to just be the favorite because it feels like, especially the Celtics, Bucks, and Heat and Sixers are all really even right now. So it feels like it's going to come down to a couple plays, maybe in a game seven or maybe just really close games throughout all the series to, to see who advances. So it's really going to take some some really clutch plays and, some really important plays by by the best players, or even maybe the role players in, in big spots. So uh, it, it should be a lot of, uh, again, close basketball and uh, just really, you know, like, like coin flip type of games where maybe the better team doesn't win, but whoever comes up clutch when they need to are the ones that advance. So Eastern Conference is going to be a bloodbath. Yeah, I think I can definitely agree with that. But yeah, is there anything else that you want to say about the playoffs before we move on to another topic? Or no, I, I think I pretty much covered all the series. Uh, I can't really think of any other you know storylines going on right now besides the ones I already mentioned. All right. Well, uh, I guess then one last thing that we can talk about briefly is recently the Red Sox they held a ceremony um, for former broadcaster who passed away uh, late last year, but. I'm not really going to talk too much about the ceremony. Um, there's, not really, there's not really too much to say about it, but the main thing is the fact that I think besides getting mentioned like once or twice, they've pretty much just left out Don Russell entirely from it. 
which is interesting because he was it was later revealed that he was actually asked to uh, record like a short video sort of praising Remy but it ended up not being used like the Red Sox like slash Nesson told him that the video was like no longer needed which I thought was probably not the correct move what what are your thoughts on this though and I want to hear what you have to say so I think what happened is that they had videos from from like like a few different people that they were going to play during the ceremony but then they ended up like having it all planned out like beforehand so they they didn't end up, end up playing any videos on there so it kind of felt like it wasn't so much a shot at Don Orsillo as like just some sort of miscommunication in the whole planning of the event so obviously you'd want to have Don Orsillo a part of the ceremony considering he was the he, besides Jerry Remy he was the like the next guy like when you think of Jerry Remy you think of Remy, Remy and Orsillo like you don't think of you know the other guys who were there like Dennis Eckersley and Jim Rice and a couple of the, the other play by play guys so obviously those guys should have been there too but uh Arcelo, I guess should have been a part but he, he was I know Nesson before before the ceremony got aired they played a bunch of like clips and highlights from Jerry Remy's broadcasting career and Arcelo was obviously on a bunch of those so it wasn't like they were trying to ignore him but it just feels like whoever planned it didn't really which is kind of a major oversight to to not include like videos from people who wanted to be a part of it but obviously it's not really a big deal to me because like at this point I think I think everybody like everybody knows about Remy and Arcelo and like their their whole legacy or just how how much they mean to Boston doesn't really get changed by any sort of omission in the ceremony but I can understand why a lot of people were, were upset about it because I think they all expected Arcelo to be a part of it but then even him revealing that, that he recorded a video and that day I didn't use it kind of seemed like a dig, but honestly, I think it was just some miscommunication or whatever. So, yeah. Yeah, I doubt that their like refusal to use the video was malicious towards Osceola, but I just feel like it was just a bad PR move because they, like, they had to like realize at some point that that was going to come out and the people were going to be upset about it. Like, I feel like the amount of backlash that Nesson and Red Sox got for that kind of overshadowed the ceremony to begin with it kind of distracted people from sort of like preserving Jeremy's legacy because people were just so outraged by it me personally I I don't think it's the worst thing in the world either but they probably just should have done better like it, it didn't seem like the video was that long it was probably like a it was probably like a minute long they I think they, they probably could have afforded to leave that in I think at least it's just to appease the fans you know yeah, and, and, and I think Don Orsillo was, was probably pretty upset that he wasn't a part of it because he definitely would have wanted to be there in person, but but he, he's the broadcaster for the Padres, and, and they had a game. So honestly, I don't know why he didn't just take the game off and just have someone replace him because it, it wasn't like the ceremony was a last-minute thing. It, it had been planned at, at least since a few weeks before the season, so everybody knew when it was going to be. Like this week, Dave O'Brien hasn't been doing any any of the Red Sox games. I'm sure he has a reason for for that. So I don't know why that why Arcilla didn't just skip the game and come to come to Boston for the ceremony. But I I, I guess he has his own reasons for that too. But yeah, he, he it wasn't like he wasn't ready to Jerry Remy's funeral or anything, but it definitely was a big moment for for his memory. So I'm sure he was kind of upset. Like he definitely definitely wasn't a coincidence that, that he tweeted out that he made a video like I think it was either during the ceremony or just like shortly after it ended, so he definitely wasn't a big fan of, of getting left out. But uh, at least to me personally, like I don't really consider it a big deal because 
to me, I already know the whole history. So, like, even if he was included or not, I still know that he was a big part of, of, of the Red Sox broadcast. Yeah, and I think even to begin with, I don't think he has the strongest feelings toward Nesson because I feel like the way that they, I think they sort of, like, let him go. They, they like, I don't think his leave of the Red Sox was very amicable. I think that they kind of basically just replaced him with Dave O'Brien a, bit, a little bit abruptly. So he didn't, he didn't really have, like, a final send-off at all. So I imagine that even before, like, they left this video out, he wasn't, his feelings towards Nesson weren't exactly the best. So it's just, just something that definitely just added more fuel to the fire and, I doubt that Orsil will be coming back to Nesson anytime soon, if ever, really. Yeah. But yeah, uh, I think that is going to do it for this week's episode of Wooden Bats. We hope that you enjoyed listening to us talk, and we hope to see you again next week. Peace.